church for enforcing and being the pillar and ground of the truth. Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Today we're talking about how you can combat false teaching through proper discipleship. Hello and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. And on today's episode, we are going to continue a thought that we started in last week's episode when we started talking about false teaching in the scripture. And um, so we talked a lot last week about how to identify someone who is a false teacher. And this week, uh, we're going to be talking about combating false teaching through proper discipleship. And so uh, we're looking forward to getting into what we have here from the scripture and trying to exposit some of these things. And uh, my name is Simeon Brazel. I'm joined as usual by Pastor Brian Stewart. Good day. And we are looking forward to uh, getting in. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. I want you to turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. This is where we turned uh, last week on the last episode. In Colossians chapter 2, we found um, that Christ has something to say, or rather Paul has something to say um, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about um false prophets and false teachers and uh, how they go about doing that. And there's also a solution to that problem written in the same passage. So Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6, it says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and builded up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And so this passage um, really kind of delves into how we deal with false teaching. And uh, just to kind of review quickly what we talked about last week, we talked about the two ways, really, that a false prophet um, tries to spread his teaching, and he does that after the tradition of men. Um, in other words, that that can be legalism, that can be just traditional things that, you know, I, when I think of tradition, I tend to think of Catholic church type style things where we just do it because we do it because we've always done it. Um, and pharisaical, uh, we find that with the Pharisees in the Old Testament as well, doing things after the tradition of men. And then the other is after the rudiments of the world, or in other words, using the methods of the world to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish and not after Christ. But here in this uh, passage, we also find what um, what Paul says is the solution to the problem. And he begins it and ends it with the solution. He says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We're talking about how discipleship and proper discipleship combats the problem of um, false teaching within the church. And he says they're specifically established in the faith as he have been taught. And so these Colossians could read this and say, okay, we have been taught the truth, and now we have an opportunity to accept 
or reject that truth or continue in false teaching or to accept the truth. And that's what discipleship does. It gives people the opportunity to accept the truth. I remember uh, in last week's episode, we went to Hosea and we saw how um, some people didn't have the truth, but just following after a false prophet Mm. destroyed them anyway. And the false prophet had the truth and rejected it. But those people who didn't have the truth, they didn't really have a whole lot of option. But these people who have been discipled, they do have an option. They've been taught something, and they have the ability to choose. Now, that choice has to come by growth. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, about growth first on this episode. If we think about the kind of growth that God wants us to have, he wants us to be established in his word. If we remember last uh, episode, we talked about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, whosoever denieth the Son, and we identified that that word denieth uh, means, can mean many different things. It could mean disavow or reject completely. And so there's different degrees in, I guess, denying, mm-hmm. uh, according to the definition. There's uh, refusing uh, the Son, and those would be like 180 degree uh, going the opposite direction of what the Son and all that he stands for would be. But the other part of the definition says it's to contradict. That means if we contradict the Son in anything that he teaches or anything that he is, then what we are doing is we're denying him. Now, Mm -hmm. most of the time, we don't like to define it that way. Uh, You know, we don't tend to look at it that just a little bit of error is is okay, generally, is what a lot of uh, so-called believers will do. But uh, we need to be careful because that if we are contradicting him in any way, shape, or form, we are, in a sense, denying him, and uh, that is putting us in this camp of the false teacher. Now, we could maybe do it out of ignorance and not intend to, and uh, and that would be a different set, uh, situation. I do want to make the point that ignorance is not an excuse. Um, Correct. Because we have the full written revelation of God's word. Ignorance is not an excuse. You know, if, if you if you don't read English, or you can't speak English, but you run a stop sign, you're getting a ticket nonetheless. Just because you couldn't read that the word said stop doesn't mean that you are exempt from the law. True. So ignorance isn't an excuse. It is not an excuse. It can be an explanation as to why it may have been done. Mm-hmm. And generally, if somebody does it in ignorance and their heart is in the right place, then they're going to be easily corrected mm-hmm. or admonished to, to that correct position. So this false teacher, when we identify it as they are somebody who contradicts the son. And so this growth and this maturity is the opposite of contradicting him, but it is learning to be in him and live in him and him in us Mm -hmm. and us having that connectedness. And that's what discipleship brings a person to if it's done intentionally and done uh, properly. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, we see uh, in this passage, in the context of this passage, uh, God is giving us the qualifications and the requirements of the character of a person who's going to serve in the office of bishop. We use the term bishop uh, in scripture, but in modern day, we're called, we uh, would call this person a pastor, uh, the pastor of the church. Uh, and it gives us a list of things. But notice in here, in halfway through that verse, it says they are to be vigilant and sober. Vigilant and sober. Vigilant means to be awake, aware. Uh, you're going to be serious-minded uh, towards what is around you. 
and then the soberness is that serious mindedness and that clarity of of mind and 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 heart and our mind and our heart is able to be controlled by the holy spirit of god mm-hmm. and so this person who is uh going to be discipled or discipling in order to combat the false teaching it takes vigilance on the part of every believer and it takes a serious mindedness with our feelings and our emotions controlled by the holy spirit of god right and um you know that that vigilance why would you even need to be vigilant you know the the scripture uses lots of pictures of vigilance it uses a shepherd when referring to looking out the because there are wolves among the sheep um it uses a picture of a watchman keeping an eye on a city um the bible uses a lot of illustrations for this idea of vigilance um but the the lord jesus christ throughout the new testament simply uses the word beware right beware beware of dogs beware of um all kinds of different things um but let's look real quick at a few of those bewares that we find in scriptures most of them have to do with false teachers which is interesting enough um maybe all of them do i haven't looked through all of the bewares um but matthew chapter number seven and verse number 15 we find that um jesus is speaking here and he says beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And so once again, we have this picture of wolves among the sheep, but these, he's speaking of false prophets. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, um, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And on last week's episode, when we were talking about identifying false teachers or false prophets, um, we made the, we made a point to say, these people may not always look like a false teacher. They may not always Amen. look like you know, they're not standing on a soapbox and preaching heresy. Uh, usually, they're subtle, and they're sneaking around, and they're teaching something that the majority doesn't necessarily agree with in the church, but they don't know any better, and they can't refute them, and they're trying to do it when the pastor's not around or, or to their own Sunday school class or whatever. And, and so you have to be aware, or in other words, you have to be vigilant to keep an eye out for these people because they look like sheep. They're coming in, and they look like sheep. But inwardly, they're ravening wolves. And so it takes a certain amount of vigilance to detect them. The outside, you can't tell from the outside many times whether they're going to be a false teacher or not. You've got to pay attention to what they're saying. And is this in harmony with what God says? Is Are they demonstrating they have the mind of Christ? And they're using his mind to accomplish the tasks, the advice, whatever it is that's being done? Or are they contradicting the Son in any way, shape, and form. And if they're contradicting the sun, now we've got a problem and we need to be aware of it. Now, again, uh, is this person contradicting in ignorance? It's not an excuse to, they're still wrong, Mm -hmm. but if they're doing it out of ignorance, then we can have a little bit of mercy and grace with them. If they're doing it overtly and they are just resolute and dead set on teaching that to as many people as they can, now, uh, we need to look to our Savior as how did he handle those people. And you have plenty of good examples in Scripture. That's where he got tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where he was not, uh, his words were not uh, gross. They were not uh, profane, but they were very harsh. Mm-hmm. And they were very, very pointed and very to the point. And he didn't, he, he wasn't, like a lot of people like to think that every Christian is just a sappy, nice little, sweet little mealy mouth mm-hmm. little thing that never says anything mean or anything that's unkind or anything hard. 
No, there are times when you're dealing with a false prophet that is misleading people. Mm -hmm. In those cases, those are the criteria that Jesus used, and he called them whited sepulchers. And I mean, he was—he did not—he didn't spare their feelings yeah. to uh, to to let them know where they were and what needed to take place in their life. Yeah, he wasn't being mean to them. He wasn't just being mean for mean's sake, but he was he was calling it what it was, and he let them know where they stood. We preachers have a tendency to preach about sin outside of the church building, but we're a lot more shy to confront people on the inside of the church building about their sin, you know? <laughs> and when it comes to this kind of thing, you can't afford to be shy. You, you simply can't afford to be shy. When you've got people within the sound of your voice that are doing something that is affecting the mind and the heart of other believers within the same building, within the same earshot, you have to address that problem. Now, can you address it privately? Sure. Um, but, you know, you, you the problem has to be addressed. Jesus had no problem uh, speaking right into the face of the Pharisees and telling them that they were hypocrites, you know? And so that that has to happen. I think there's a lot of times we misunderstand what kindness is. Mm -hmm. Kindness, we think, is, uh, how do I explain it, niceness. Sweet, calm. And kindness, yeah, and kindness is not always being nice. If, I'm gonna, if I have somebody that's, let's say, in an employee-employer situation, and the person is doing something that may bring themselves harm, in the way they're conducting their job, the kind thing to do is to go to them and let them know you need to stop right this moment. You need to step back, mm -hmm. and I need to explain this to you, and you are not doing this correctly. Yeah, This is how you need to do it. Now, that's a kind thing to do, mm -hmm. but it's not perceived as kindness. Right. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. If somebody is believing something that is wrong, that is putting them in a contradiction with the sun, then they're denying the sun, and, and there are severe consequences to that. You don't have a relationship and, and fellowship with the Father if you don't have the mind of Christ. Yeah. And so we need to have the mind of Christ, and we need to be not contradicting him, and to be kind is to help that person mm -hmm. understand and know where they're at so that they can correct that. That's And we'll talk about that in a little bit as another means of correcting or combating this uh, this false teaching or these false prophets. Yeah, I've, I've talked about my dad before on this podcast about he's a chemical engineer, um, but he went into management, plant management. was you know There's a lot of things that can go wrong in a plant. People can get hurt, seriously. People can die. People can get their fingers cut off and machinery and all kinds of things. They weren't even allowed to wear wedding rings or anything because of the, there was always the fear that their rings would get caught and rip their fingers off, you know? So all that machinery and stuff. But one of the things that they constantly were focused on was safety. And if you had a safety violation, you were reprimanded very quickly for a safety violation. And if it happened again, you were fired. And people would say, that's, that's tough. That's, you know, you're being too hard on people. You're not giving people enough chances. And they were, you know, the, the truth is, those safety violations were a kindness because it's better that that person be fired than then that person lose a hand or then that person sure. die, you know? And so it is, it is tough 
Sure, you're taking somebody's job, somebody's livelihood away, and that's a hard thing to do. But it actually is a kindness if that person could hurt themselves very badly, you know? Sure. And so it, it is, like you said, it's a kindness to address sin, outward sin, especially when it's affecting other people within the church. You are causing me some consternation here. Now, I did say consternation. Uh, <laughs> but it, by this definition, I have to consider what my drill instructors did to me in the Marine Corps boot camp as kind. Uh-huh. Because when I got to combat, I was prepared, and I was my life was put in a better place. I had a better chance of surviving by the training that they gave me. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't do it in a spirit of... of, of uh, probably what we would perceive to be kindness, but they were being kind to me by being hard on me mm-hmm. because it lear- it helped me to learn to endure hardness as a good Marine. And that takes or a relationship. As the scripture says, as a good soldier. It takes a relationship yes. too. Um, you know, if you have, Certainly. you can be hard on people that you have a relationship with. Um, in, in a uh, military sense of the word, that relationship is you do it or else, you know, um, sure. Well, there's a willingness to receive as well. Correct. Because you signed up to go there. Mm-hmm. And so you, you knew what you were signing up for. And the same with the church. I'm not going to be hard on just anybody in the, you know, the visitor that comes in the door. But I can be firm with a man that I've been discipling for a couple of years mm-hmm. or have discipled. And now uh, we're working together as co-laborers. And I, and I see something in his life that needs to be shored up or, uh, you know, as far as spiritually needs to be shored up, I can be firm with that man and and direct with that man Mm -hmm. where I wouldn't with somebody I don't have a good relationship with. Right. So that's a good point. But all that falls under vigilance, keeping your eyes open, making sure you know what's going on. Because if you don't, if you don't know what's going on, you can't address the problem anyway. And that's one of the the awesome things about this one-on-one discipleship platform is that you you have a tie into that person's life as the pastor, either directly or indirectly through their discipler. You have a tie into their life, and you know what's going on, what they've been taught. Amen. If we move on, Luke chapter 12, we see another beware where Jesus talks, and, and he gives us two of them in this uh, chapter. And so uh, if uh, I'll explain verse 1 and 15, and then if you'll have Second Peter 2 uh, ready. Simeon, uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, down at the end of verse 1 where Jesus is talking to them and he's talking to his disciples. He says, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So now he's telling us how do we combat it. He's helping us identify it. He calls this, uh, this leaven of the Pharisees, uh, and, he, and he tells us exactly what it is. It's their hypocrisy. So a false prophet is going to be hypocritical. Mm-hmm. They're going to be an actor. Right. Uh, a, a, a professional hypocrite is an actor. Somebody who is acting like something they are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we watch them on movies and, uh, and appreciate them, and they get awards for doing a good job of acting like something they're not. Uh, one of the f- funny things we like to say, and I don't know if, Anybody that's a listener out there that likes to say this or have heard it before, but you know, just because you played a doctor on TV doesn't mean you're qualified to give doctor you know advice mm-hmm. as a physician. Uh, but uh, you know, that's actors. Sometimes we even look at them as if they are that professional if they play that role often enough and long enough. 
uh, we can perceive that they may be an expert in that area, and they're not. They're an expert actor. Mm-hmm. They're an expert hypocrite. Right. Well, these Pharisees and the leaven of the Pharisees that would get in and spread in amongst the Pharisees was this hypocrisy. They presented themselves as super religious or super godly people, but the reality was different than what was the perception. Mm-hmm. So again, the outside is not how we can identify spiritual people. We identify spiritual people by do they line up and have the mind of Christ mm-hmm. or are they contradicting Christ? If they're contradicting Christ, they are not a quote-unquote spiritual or a good religious person because they are not following the model. Mm-hmm. Uh, in verse 15 He goes on to say, and he said unto them, so he's continuing to talk to them. He says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So he connects here covetousness and hypocrisy and brings them together and says, This is what the Pharisees are doing. They are doing it for covetousness. Now, the way we talked about it in the last episode was they they like to make merchandise of you. They're coveting what you have. They and they they don't care whether you're a widow or a widower. They're going to try and fleece you for everything you got. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are many examples of that out in our public society on the TV and the radio, where they're wanting your money and they don't care who you are. They don't care what what you know. They'll actually tell widows and other people to send their money in for a blessing or for this. Mm-hmm. You know, God is in the business of yes, He wants stuff from us but most of all he wants us Mm -hmm. he wants to have access to us and he wants us to have his mind and abide in him yeah and then he will uh use what you are and what you have and the talents and the abilities he's given you but he's going to use it for his glory and his honor not for any human being's glory or Mm -hmm. honor right i think it's interesting the analogy you brought up of actors i was listening to a podcast just the other day and um, the the guy that that hosts the podcast isn't necessarily an actor, but he's a TV personality. And he said that on occasion he gets asked to join panels to discuss issues. And he's like, I don't understand anything about these issues at all. I just was in, you know, I was I did a thing one time as a TV personality that had something to do with that. And now people think I'm an expert because I was on TV. And he's like, I don't, I don't have, I don't know anything about it. He's like, so I decline these panels, and people are like, why are you, why don't you want to help? And he's like, it's nothing to do with not wanting to help. I'm not an expert, and um, yeah. you know, but these Pharisees often, and, and I find it interesting the correlation in Second Peter. We're talking about the Pharisees in Second Peter chapter two. Um, speaking of false prophets, he writes, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So these false teachers are literally making merchandise of people. And the correlation there between between acting and false teaching is is amazing, because to be to be honest, that's what actors do. They make merchandise of us as we enjoy mm-hmm. watching them do what they do. And, you know, like you said, there's a pretend doctor on TV and we ought to know that person's not a real doctor. He's just an actor. He's making merchandise of us. Right. And so, but that's exactly what a false teacher does. He's making merchandise of you. And one of the easiest ways that you can identify whether a teaching is false 
or not is does that teaching point me to Jesus Christ and his authority alone? And these false prophets are teaching something that may sound great. It may sound spiritual. It may raise the offerings, you know, whatever whatever it is that they're after, but it, it doesn't raise Jesus. It raises yeah. something else. And so that is a, a key way that we can identify um, that someone is a false teacher. And how do you combat that? You combat that, first of all, by being aware and identifying that this person is a false prophet. That's why we did the episode last week that way. If we look at Matthew 15, we can see Jesus as an example. He he is not duped into the trap or the lies or the acting that these groups are doing around him. And so in chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus, they, the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus, uh, which were of Jerusalem. So these Jerusalem scribes and Pharisees come to him. They ask him a leading question, and he answers them. And they they were asking, why does the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? <clears throat> Which they put a great value in the tradition of the elders and the traditions of that they had established over the years. And Jesus asked them a very pointed question, why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Mm-hmm. And so he flips the question on them, and he, he's not duped by them. He's not suckered into going, oh, uh, how do I answer this? No, he says, why are you doing what is the opposite of what you should be doing? You are transgressing God's commandment. And for God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother, and he that uh, that curses father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, so again, here's what they say compared to what God says. Whosoever shall say to his father and mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So how can we <clears throat> when he's telling us to beware, and he's talking to his disciples and teaching them how to beware of these false teachers, these scribes and these Pharisees, he points to what do they teach and what is the effect of what they teach, mm-hmm. just like you were pointing out just a moment ago. And notice what he does in verse 7. In verse 7 of Matthew 15, he says, Ye hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Mm-hmm. And something we don't want to forget is that Jesus tells us how to identify where a person's heart is. Yeah, He had the ability to identify where a person's heart is, but he's given us that ability too, because he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so because it's out of the abundance of our heart our mouth speaks, when somebody speaks, you can compare that to what the Son of God says, what his mind is on that matter. And if there's a contradiction, you got a problem. You better mm-hmm. not follow this person. If, you, if there is no contradiction, now you can follow this person and know that this person is either going the same direction as you and is working towards the same honor and glory. But notice how he finishes in verse 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we took this and applied this to 
pulpits and churches around the Western civilization and around the world, how many people are in vain worshiping God? They're teaching from the pulpit the doctrines of men mm -hmm. and the commandments of men rather than what God says. And you know how easy that is? We can read a verse and go down our own path. Mm -hmm. And twist, it in, and twist it in whatever direction we want to do. And we have just accomplished what Jesus calls these Pharisees and scribes, which he calls them in this passage, hypocrites, which again is what he calls them in Luke chapter 12, verse 1 as well. And he calls it the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes mm -hmm. is this hypocrisy. Yeah. And we could, we honestly, we're running low on time here, but we could, we could talk about this idea where we have a lot more scripture we're not going to have time to get to on this particular topic of being vigilant um, but we could look at Luke chapter 20 verses 45 through 47 we could look at Matthew 23 verses 2 through 10 um, we could look at um, uh, Philippians 3 2 there's a lot of things there about being vigilant being sober if you have the time um, rewind what I just said go through those passages read them I would encourage you to do so the Lord has a lot to talk about about being aware um, most of those have to do Amen. with Pharisees um, and Pharisaical ideas because most false prophets are pretty Pharisaical and so they line up pretty well um, the second thing that we can do though um, to combat uh, false teaching through proper discipleship not only should we be vigilant and sober uh, and keeping an eye out, but we also can combat it by admonishing people with the word of God. And the first thing that I want to talk about, I'm not going to take you there for sake of time and for sake of, uh, well, really for sake of time, because we could spend a whole you know, uh, sermon series on this idea of church discipline. But church discipline has a pattern and it has a way that it's supposed to operate. And I would say that we could solve a lot of church problems if we would just practice church discipline and nobody wants to do it. Um, Amen. but that is, it does show a way in which we could admonish people with the word, because how does church discipline work? First, you one-on-one -on -one with a person who's caught in a fault, have the opportunity to address that fault in a one-on-one -on -one manner. And a person who's willing to learn, who's willing to be admonished, will have that fault corrected or will attempt to start correcting that in their own life because they've been confronted. And discipleship gives you the perfect layup the perfect setup for this confrontation. Now, when you are meeting with that person for the first time, you don't know it's church discipline yet, okay? You're just going to them with the thing. You say, hey, look, this isn't quite right. Um, we need to address this issue. And you bring that issue before them. And if they don't want to correct that issue, you bring in another person with you that's a good, solid under person who understands the Word of God, and you address it. And then you go through the whole process. I don't have to go through all of that with you in this forum. Um, but that is a way that it shows that we don't just throw somebody out. We go through the process of admonishing them with the Word of God. It's not, hey, I don't like that, or I don't agree with that. It's, hey, this is what God's Word says. And discipleship platform, the discipleship platform and method gives us the opportunity to meet with that person in a one-on-one -on -one private setting and admonish them in the Word. And it's amazing if we could just practice this, hey, you you have an error, or you hear an error, you go to that person one-on-one, -on -one, you know what you're going to find out? Most of the time, the person didn't mean to say it that way. Or they yeah. don't actually think what they what came out of their mouth. It was misspoken. Or 
they've never seen the passage in the light of the way that you're about to present it to them. And they're very gracious mm-hmm. and willing to change most of the time. That's what happens. And so if we would just practice this of going one-on-one and addressing it, you know, when I correct my kids, I kick all the other kids out of the room. Okay. I don't let everybody sit there and listen to the the, the correction that's going on between me and one of my kids. I do that in a private setting, one-on-one with that child. And that's how we're supposed to respectfully treat other believers as well. God gives us advice on that in uh, direction in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And uh, before this, he's giving Titus, this young pastor, the advice that he needs. And there's a lot of things there, but he's basically wanting him to understand and know that he is to affirm constantly the things that he's been taught. He's to maintain uh, good works. Uh, He's to avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law because they're all unprofitable. But then he says, a man that is a heretic. Now, we in some circles and in some ways, that word can get thrown around a whole lot sooner than the Bible and Scripture permits. Mm-hmm. Notice here, the man that is a heretic after what? He is a heretic after he is a first and second admonition. Then you reject him. Mm-hmm. In other words, somebody who is a spiritual leader needs to sit down with this person who is potentially teaching heresy, show, teaching something that contradicts what Christ says and does, mm-hmm. and that person is to be sat down and, and to be admonished the first time, and that admonishment will should include an instruction of what is the correct teaching, what is the what is the mind of Christ. Right. Don't just tell them they're wrong. Tell them why and show them. Yeah, show them from the scriptures and teach them the truth, so that their error can be given an opportunity to be corrected, and they get a first chance. If they don't accept it, you meet with them after that first chance of explaining it to them, and they're still not in agreement, and they're still not understanding it, you admonish them again. Mm -hmm. This is what God's Word says. This is important. This is what God is teaching, and what you are saying is in contradiction to that. This is how. This is why. You sit down with them. You make sure that they are given every opportunity to change, to, to have a heart that's teachable. And when they demonstrate that teachable heart, they're not a heretic. Mm -hmm. But when they get to the end of the second admonition, that's when the rejection takes place. Again, this is not necessarily a public thing, but whatever position of leadership or responsibility that person may have in a church may need to be taken away, and they're rejected, because they are rejecting, and notice this, they are rejecting the Son, denying the Son, contradicting the son mm-hmm. and because of that they are denying and, and contradicting him now what we are doing is simply identifying that that contradiction is there and and identifying it and saying because of this contradiction you cannot have this role or you cannot continue to teach this class mm-hmm. or be you know a fill-in preacher in the church or uh, you know and a, a, you can't be a guest speaker here anymore whatever the case is that has to happen after the second admonition. Mm-hmm. Knowing, verse 11, knowing that he that is such is subverted. They have been subverted. They are the one that changed from the truth. They are the one that is going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Not the church for enforcing and being the pillar and ground of the truth. 
like we are supposed to be according to God's right. Uh, God's decision and His uh, His instruction. Yeah. And so He sinneth. The subverted one is sinning, being condemned how of Himself. Mm-hmm. They have done this to themselves. We are not doing it to them. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of times we get a misconception that, well, you've been churched or you've been this or that. No, they do this to themselves. Mm-hmm. And the church is standing in that same place. Lord willing, we're standing with Christ and being his body and sticking with his teachings mm-hmm. and not allowing contradictions or departing or denying him to stand as an official situation within the church right now again we're not suggesting that we go around and everybody that says anything on sunday morning it's in the you know in the fellowship time before or after church that we're you know going to go around as the gestapo police trying to correct everything no we're not doing that either but we're talking about official positions people who are wielding influence and direction within the church and that could be holding a position. It may not be holding a position, but they're wielding influence. Then they need to be addressing th- this thing if they are contradicting the son, mm-hmm. not contradicting the pastor. Mm-hmm. Because pastors, if we're honest, we can be wrong. Oh sure. It's not. It's not our position to you know if they make me mad. No, it's if they're contradicting the son. This is a tool we use. Uh, if they made me mad, now I need to just handle church discipline. And I've been offended, mm-hmm. and I need to go to them as an offended brother right. and try and resolve that. But uh, when it comes to the heretic label, it's not left up to our opinion. It's not left up, well, in my opinion, he's a heretic. Mm-hmm. No. Is it in the opinion of Christ? Is it contradicting what Christ says? Is he disavowing, rejecting, abnegating, or denying or contradicting what Christ said. If he does, then we need to deal with it. And it, and only after the second admonition can we give somebody the title of heretic. Right. I think it's also, you know, there's a lot of people that are, uh, you know, we use the term witch hunters. These people are wolf hunters. <laughs> They're yeah. looking for a wolf to kill. And a shepherd is not a wolf hunter. He's not going th- coming through the woods trying to kill wolves. He's just trying to keep them away from his sheep, right? Sure. So, um you're not out to get people. You're not out to find people that you can brand. Um, that's not what it's about. It's about keeping an eye on the sheep. And while you're keeping an eye on the sheep, occasionally you're going to spot a wolf and you're going to have to deal with that issue. But like you said, it's only after the second admonition. We're not out to find wolves. That's not the point. Um, vigilance does not mean that we are seeking to find wolves. It means we are seeking to protect sheep. And when we have the right heart about it, um, when you have that correct idea about it, then that, that solves that whole problem. And speaking about having the right heart about it, um, second Peter chapter three talks us about how we can, uh, we can, uh, stop being led away by the error of the wicked it says in second Peter three seventeen, ye therefore beloved, seeing ye know these things before beware, there's that word again, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So how do you not do that? How do you be aware and keep yourself from doing that? He continues in verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be, uh, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And I think the wonderful thing, we looked at this verse last week as well, but the wonderful thing here is that obviously he's talking about the error of the wicked um, and beware 
lest you also, or Christian people, fall from our own steadfastness. Or we've, we have something that we've been taught, and that steadfastness simply means continuing in the things that we've been taught. And the only way you can continue in the things that you've been taught is if you're growing in the things yes. that you've been taught, yes. having a deeper understanding all the time. And there's not a single person who is on earth right now who has fully learned the grace of God. Sure. who has fully learned what their salvation means. You know, funny story real quick. One time I was preaching in a church um, on deputation and I had a guy tell me that I couldn't be saved. And I was like, um, yeah, I am. And <laughs> um, kind of gave him my testimony. But he said, no, you can't possibly be saved because you got, according to you, you got saved too young and you couldn't possibly understand salvation at that age. Um, now, I wasn't saved at three, okay? Um but according to this guy, you had to fully understand salvation before you could be saved. And I got news for him. I still don't fully understand salvation. There's a whole lot of stuff that I've got to grow in grace. Sure. I'm learning more and more and more about the grace of God every single day. And so um, that growth, growing in grace, that is how we combat this. And, um, you know, I've heard people um, say oftentimes, I think it's true, that if you're not growing, you're shrinking. Um, if a plant isn't growing, it's dying. That, that, that's just how the world operates. If you're not growing, you're dying. In fact, when you, as a human being, you grow up until your mid to late 20s. Most people stop growing at that point. You know what starts happening at that point? You start shrinking. You actually start getting shorter. It's amazing how that works. But when you stop growing, you start shrinking. And so the way you can combat shrinking away from the truth of God's word is to continue to grow in it. it interesting, uh, interesting point he continues to make here. If we actually look at verse 16, we didn't read that one, but he says also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, their, of these things, in which are some things heard to be understood, but they that are unlearned and unstable, they rest or they, they wrangle it, they twist it, they twi- mm-hmm. turn it, where we get the word wrestle from. Yes, as they do also other scriptures under their own destruction. And in verse 17, he's talking to you and I that are going to try and hold to the, the teaching and the instruction in the mind of Christ. And he says, we need to be careful so that we don't follow their wicked, evil ways. And so he's identified that false teacher, but he also, the warning is, not only to be warned so you can identify it and avoid it and try and keep it out of the church, but we need to make sure we don't follow their ways. It's unfortunate, but many times in the churches, and I've seen this in multiple churches, where people who get led away with some, uh, they get drunk on some doctrine that isn't correct or some other thing, and then they take other people with them. And, mm-hmm. and we see collateral damage so to speak and that's what he's warning us against here and so you and i need to make sure we are growing in our understanding and knowledge of christ i.e we have been discipled and we are continuing to pursue him as a disciple of his so that we know his mind so we don't contradict him so that we don't deny him or refuse him or reject him even in areas that we haven't yet learned we can still be on track with him and mm-hmm. so that we can continue to do the things that we're supposed to because falling from our own steadfastness is a real problem 
that we need to be vigilant about. And we mm-hmm. need to be on guard because none of us are exempt from falling away from the teaching and the instruction of Christ. Right. And, you know, I think from what we found in the Scripture, really the best way to make sure that you are personally growing as well as the people that you have influence over are growing is to continue in that discipleship process to keep a thumb on the pulse of their life and see how they're doing. It doesn't mean that you're monitoring everything that they do, but it means that you as a Christian have a genuine concern in their growth. You want to see them grow. You want to see them go from being a babe to a toddler, to a child, to a teenager, to a young adult, to an adult, and reproducing as a parent as well. You want to see that in their life. And the way that's accomplished is by having a thumb on that pulse and allowing and helping them to come along and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so um, that's just a little bit about how discipleship can help you um, to combat against false teaching, um, both in discipleship as well as within the church. And uh, we pray that this will be a help and an aid to you. And uh, if it has been, please feel free to reach out to us. I'll give you the information to do that in a little bit. And you can also uh, leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Most of them have a way to leave a review or at least a rating, especially on Apple. I know that's a big deal. So if you could do that, that would help out a lot. We appreciate that very much. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On next week's episode, we will continue our discussion about discipleship. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter at General Order the number 4. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe.